Turn with me, please, to Matthew 13 again. Actually, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you not turn to Matthew 13, but I'm going to have you turn to the Mark parallel. Um, The second point of the sermon um, this morning is in many ways largely dependent upon one statement that's found in the parallel in Mark. And so in some sense, the second point comes more from Mark than it does from Matthew. And yet, it was spoken on the same occasion, uh, and just Mark is just a little bit more descriptive of, of, uh, in terms of what he includes. And I wanted to cover that point this evening. So, um, not going to reread what we, actually I will. I'll read not the whole portion, but just the portion that's, uh, uh, that we discussed this morning. That is Matthew, so keep your finger in Mark. But I'll read Matthew 13, verses 11 and following. So listen carefully as I read. Actually, I'll start in verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Another opportunity to look further at your word and its teaching regarding parables. We thank you, Lord, that uh, for the variety of genres that we find in the scriptures that makes it uh, 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 very interesting to read and captivating. Um, it's not all one type of uh, instruction that you borrowed from, uh, from the ancient world, these genres, and used them, and uh, in an organic way inspired what was written by these men. We are most grateful that we have this living word before us. Would you please help us now um, to further understand that word, not just as I preach um, from this passage 
and the parallel in Mark, but uh, Lord, also as we learn uh, from Mark, um, that it would help us with other portions of Scripture as well, that we might better know you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So kids, this morning, not this morning, well, this morning I did it too, but I did it this evening also on the way to church here. I went out into the garage, so I was leaving the house, and um, in order to get into my car, I had to unlock the doors. Now, I used a fancy key to do that. It's an electronic key, but it is a key, and had I not had the key, I would not have been able to get into the vehicle. And that's what we use keys for. We use keys to gain access to something we wouldn't otherwise have access to that's closed to us, that, is, uh, that uh, we would otherwise be prevented from getting to. Well, the passage um, in Mark, actually it's one verse in Mark, that Mark inserts that's not found over in Matthew's parallel, but this one verse in Mark that we're going to look at here in just a moment indicates that the parable that we are looking at, that we looked at this morning and also last Sunday, the parable of the soils and its interpretation is actually a key. It is a key to unlocking the meaning and to understanding uh, virtually all the other parables that are found in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus indicates this by what he says uh, in Mark's uh, account of the telling of this parable. And we are going to look at that. But before we do, I just want to remind you of what we looked at this morning. We saw from the text that I read a moment ago, uh, first of all, the divine intention of Jesus' parables. Uh, it was twofold. Jesus' parables were certainly given uh, in order to instruct and to reveal the truth concerning the kingdom of God and its king, who was Jesus himself and his identity and why he came. The parables were given to reveal truth about the kingdom and its king to some people who were listening to the parables. However, those very same parables were also designed by Jesus or intended by Jesus to conceal the very truth concerning the kingdom of God and its king himself from certain others who were present and also listening to the same parables. So depending on the person, there was either one purpose to reveal the truth or in the case of the other person, other type of person, the person who was not to be an object of God's mercy, it was designed to conceal the truth from him or her. Well, what I wanted to say, cover in the next uh, few minutes here with you is a second point, which again is derived more from Mark's account than it is from uh, Matthew's account, but it is worth including in uh, our, uh, this Matthew message, if you will. And that is, in addition to the divine intent of Jesus' parables, we want to look at what Scripture says regarding the proper interpretation of Jesus' parables. The verse that I was talking about uh, that uh, points to, uh, that I would point to as a key 
uh, or that, that indicates that the key to understanding the parables is really this parable of the sower is Mark chapter 4, verse 13. So, starting in verse 10 of Mark chapter 4, this is similar to what we just read a few moments ago, but I'll read it again just to remind you. And it says, And soon, and as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, but, but those who are outside get everything in parables, in order that, that's a purpose statement, in order that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. Quoting uh, portions of that same Isaiah text, um, or Jer uh, Jeremiah text, rather, that, uh, that uh, Matthew quoted. But then he says this in verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? It's as if he was saying there, and how will you understand all the parables unless you understand this parable? That's implied in that question that Jesus asks there. And then he proceeds to explain the, the parable of the sower uh, and its significance. The reason this is so important, again, it is it, because, because it is paradigmatic. It is... It is illustrative of how all the parables, other parables that Jesus uh, presented to his audiences, how they should be understood, how they're to be viewed and looked at and uh, taken. And so, and this verse here in Mark indicates that this is the key. Understanding this parable is the key. And what Jesus does in this parable is he by the way he unpacks it, it's very clear that the key is understanding that the parables are allegories. They are allegorical. What's an allegory? Well, an allegory is when certain details in a narrative stand for something other than themselves, so they represent something else, or they point to a second level of meaning in addition to the straightforward meaning there's a a second level of meaning that the details in the narrative point to. That's what an allegory is. And that Jesus' parables were allegories is evident from his authoritative interpretation of this parable of the soils. So, for example, back to, we'll go back to Matthew now, but in Matthew, seed, the seed that is sown according to verse 20, when Jesus explains the parable, is the word or the gospel of the kingdom. The seed represents the gospel of the kingdom uh, and of Christ. In verse 19, we learn that the birds that are described in the initial parable represent Satan, the evil one. That's evident in verse 19, where 
He's called the evil one. He comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. And of course, in the parable, it was the birds that snatched away the seeds. And then the thorns that Jesus spoke of in the latter portion of the parable, they, we are told in verse 22 by him, represent the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. So one thing, one element of the parable represents some other truth, some other, uh, something other than uh, the element itself. That points to the allegorical nature of the parable, and of, uh, of the parables. And by the way, the only other parable for which Christ supplied a detailed interpretation of the parable that he had just spoken confirms that he viewed his parables, intended for his parables to be viewed as allegories. So in Matthew 13, we're going to look at this more, uh, more fully in coming days ahead, uh, perhaps next Sunday. But in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24, we have there the parable of the wheat and the tares. And I want, and I want you to hear this. I'll read, read the whole portion. So we're going to read verses 24 to 30, and then we're going to skip down to verse 36, where the uh, parable is explained. But just listen to how similar this is in terms of the explanation to the parable of the soils. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, do you not sow good, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. And down in verse 36, he begins his interpretation, uh, explanation of the parable. Then he left the multitudes and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed... These are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age." The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks 
and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You see the allegory there? The allegorical method is employed by our Lord uh, for this parable as well. And since Jesus interpreted his parables allegorically, then we must do the same, albeit with great care as we do so. There's been, down through church history, there's been a lot of abusive interpretation of Scripture, particularly parables, by some of our um, predecessors uh, in the church. Uh, perhaps not intentionally, probably not intentionally, but nonetheless, very poor exegesis, we'll call it that. But there's some things that, some uh, points that need to be remembered, that you need to remember, and that you need to employ as you are reading through your Gospels uh, and the parables themselves. And so I want to take a few minutes to talk about this. First of all, some things to remember when attempting to interpret the parables are that certain metaphors that are used that by our Lord have a relatively fixed meaning. Pretty much from parable to parable, most all the time, there may be the occasional exception, but have essentially the same significance. So for example, there are certain symbols that are repeatedly used for God himself. That would be a father figure, uh, a king, a judge, or a shepherd is almost always in the parables used to represent God. God's people are regularly represented as a vineyard or a vine or sheep. And that's, uh, again, very consistent across the various parables in which those images are found. The symbol for a devil, for the devil, is almost always an enemy, the enemy, as we just read there in the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's the devil. He's the enemy. That makes sense, and that's uh, pretty consistent in Jesus' description of when, when the devil is one of the uh, characters. And also, the symbol, symbols for final judgment are similar as well. So the final judgment day, uh, a harvest is typically describing the final judgment or a grape gathering, gathering of grapes, gathering up of grapes represents um, almost always uh, a final, the final judgment of our Lord. And then finally, the heavenly banquet, the banquet feast of the Lamb is represented in a number of parables as either a wedding or a feast of some other kind. And thus these images are, you need to keep that in mind as you read that that's, um, that's the significance of those various symbols. Also, another thing to keep in mind when you are interpreting allegorically uh, parables is that not every detail in a given parable necessarily stands for something. That's really important. That's one of the mistakes that was made by uh, the early church uh, the early New Testament, I should say, church. You had some of the early church fathers who uh, 
every little nuance of a parable they allegorized and uh, came up with some pretty wild interpretations as a result of that. No, not all the details stand for something. Certain details in some parables are only included to enhance the vividness of the scene that is being described, the picture that's being painted for you by the parable teller. Hence, those details that are kind of um, just painting a background picture for us must not be overinterpreted, must not be given undue attention or significance as we seek to understand the parable we're reading. In the parable of the soils, an example of one of those details that you mustn't overinterpret is when the Seed fell on the good soil, it says, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. That merely, those numbers merely seem to point to the abundance of the fruit that is produced without any more specific meaning to them. We shouldn't try to identify well, what's, what's the hundredfold grouping and what's the sixtyfold Blessed, you know, grouping and, and the 30-fold. What's the difference between them? That's not the point. We're not to get caught up in that kind of minutia. Uh, that's not what the Lord intends, almost certainly when he told that parable. So <coughs> we must not try to find hidden significance to these numbers or other similar types of details in other parables. Another thing that you want to keep in mind as you uh, look at parables and read them and seek to understand them, is that the main characters or the main elements of a parable are usually, almost always, the, the, the right candidates for allegorical interpretation. The main elements or the main characters in a given parable. Those are the things you want to go, what does this judge stand for? What does this uh, gathering of grapes stand for? Or what does this vineyard represent? Those are the types of things that you want to go, this has a spiritual meaning, an allegorical meaning. What, what does it make sense that it is? And also, it's important to point out that some of Jesus' parables only make one significant point. Now, there are others actually many others, that make more than one point, that may make two and occasionally three, but you're not going to have parables that make ten points, that, that are intended by the original speaker, by the Lord himself. One, two, maybe three, uh, or three, maybe four, but uh, uh, seldom more than three points and oftentimes only one or two that you should be looking for uh, and, and taking away from that parable. A few other things, pointers, if you will, just general principles from Scripture that you ought to apply when you read parables because of their mysterious nature, because of their um, enigmatic flavor, you want to approach them with humility. You don't want to go charging in and go, I know what that means. 
and just assuming uh, your first read just does the trick and it's boom, there you go. Um, because, well, that's just the impression it left with me. Well, no scripture should be read like that, but especially parables should not be read uh, cavalierly and with a, with, um, a sense of um, a lack of humility. I'll just leave it at that. Another principle you want to follow is you want to ask the Lord for grace to understand what you're reading. You need to pray and seek the Spirit's guidance and illumination of the parable that you might not overinterpret it or underinterpret it. You want the just right interpretation. And we need the Lord's help in that, and we need to pray and seek the Lord's help, especially always when we approach any passages of Scripture, but again, parables particularly because of their uh, veiled nature uh, require dependence upon the Spirit and His giving us discernment. Also, and this kind of goes with what I've said already, you want to approach parables with care. With care. You want to keep in mind some of these points that I have made uh, about recurring themes, recurring symbols, about uh, not trying to find too many points in one parable, and about not getting lost in the weeds of little and sundry details of a given parable and looking to the main elements of the parable for allegorical interpretation. You want to be careful. And of course that applies to all of Scripture. But again, in a, in a little, perhaps a little bit greater way to the veiled communication tool of the parable. And then finally, rely on the church to help you. And by that I don't mean me. I'm talking about the church of the last 2,000 years. Rely on good commentators. Look to Matthew Henry. Look to Calvin. Look to the great expositors of the Bible that, um, who were careful in their exposition and who believed the scriptures to be the word of God. There are a lot of modern commentators who may sound conservative, may sound like they believe the scriptures, but the truth is they will say some of this material was added by the New Testament church a century or two after Jesus' day. And that these aren't actually Jesus' original words, but they were, they were incorporated later on. Somebody who takes that approach to the parables, you don't want to be reading their commentary. Or at least you don't want to be believing what they're reading or trusting what they're reading. You want a, somebody who understands this is the authoritative, inerrant, infallible word of God and reverentially treats it. And... Look to those men. Have a good commentary or two or three. And I can recommend some to you in addition to the ones I just mentioned. We need to treat God's word with care um, because it is God's word. And parables, are, again, are a little extra tricky 
in some ways. And so thankfully the Lord has given us this key parable and pointed to it through Mark chapter 4, verse 13 as, as the model for how we should interpret the other parables as well. And God will bless us as we um, use this method in our approach in the future. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being a God who speaks. We thank you that you have spoken to us in times past through the patriarchs, through the prophets, through the apostles. And we thank you that we have this living and active word, this written word um, that you have inspired and that we have in our hand that is the source of all spiritual truth. We do pray that you would help us to be good theologians, to be careful readers and interpreters of your word. We pray especially for our interpretation of your parables, Lord Jesus, because of the nature of them. It's, it's in some ways trickier than some other portions of your word. We ask that you would guide us into all truth, that, you would, that we would rejoice when we come across parables and not, and not be afraid of them. Uh, and we pray that you would help us to profit greatly from our reading and study of them. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.